The Media Rumble is back. In the second edition, we bring together news professionals, policy makers, investors, tech innovators from all over the world. It's where we discuss the future of news. It's where we talk about all facets of the news ecosystem. This year, we are set to make the Media Rumble Asia's premier media forum. There'll be professionals from some of the world's leading news organizations. Masterclasses on data journalism, on animation, illustration, storytelling. A convoy of 14 international speakers, filmmakers, satirists, all under one roof. Come, rumble at the Media Rumble, August 3rd and August 4th, 2018 at India Habitat Centre, New Delhi. Entry is free for our News Laundry subscribers and Mufat Khors, register now. Seats are filling up fast, so log on to www.themediarumble.com. See you there. This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Welcome to episode 26 of Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we discuss what made news, what didn't, and some things that shouldn't have. This is Cherry Agarwal, and as per usual, I'm joined by Amit at Sarvodia Enclave. Hi, Amit. Hello. Today, we have two guests joining our panel. First off, Vishaka Saxena, who's currently working with Asia Times. Vishaka has over five years of journalistic experience and prior to joining Asia Times, she's worked with HT, Indian Express and India Today. Hi, Vishaka. Hi, thanks for having me. Joining us over the phone is Scroll's Arunab Saikia. Uh, prior to joining Scroll, Arunab was right here at News Laundry. He has worked with Sports Kira and Live Mint as well. Hi, Arunab. Hi, Jerry. So, without thanks for having me over. Always a pleasure. Without further ado, let's get straight to the panel. The Supreme Court has extended the deadline to publish the National Register of Citizens to July 30th. So, Aruna, beginning with you, could you give us some context as to how is the government aiming to count Indian citizens in the state? And what is how is this going to affect the people over there? Uh, yeah, uh, so uh, what is essentially happening is uh, this is an enumeration exercise uh, to count all legal citizens of Assam, uh, who uh, is uh, anyone who came uh, to the state before the midnight of 24th March 1971, which corresponds to the beginning of the uh, Bangladesh Liberation War. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and uh, I mean, uh, just for some context, uh, that date uh, was basically, uh, I mean, a result of uh, the Assam Accord. Uh, there was an agreement signed between Assamese nationalists and the Indian government to mark the end of a violent uh, six-year-old, uh, six-year-long agitation against uh, alleged foreigners. So what's happening now is a Supreme Court mandated exercise and uh, run, uh, I mean, it's being led by the NRC coordinator in the state. Uh, and uh, it's a complicated process. Uh, begins with uh, you uh, having to submit your legacy data, uh, you know, which is essentially, you know, linking your connection to somebody who was uh, here before 1971, right? That could be anything. That could be your grandfather's uh, name uh, or your father's name on the voter list of 1951, 1965, or 1971, right? Then uh, after that, you've got to connect yourself to, I mean, you've got to prove that that person is your father or your grandfather. And after that, the second level of checking is the family tree, you know, because uh, say I have a I have a cousin uh, who's also submitted the same legacy data as my as me mm-hmm. and connected uh, uh, both of the connected assets to a grandfather. Mm-hmm. So so the NRC authorities will do a cross check uh, if our family trees match. 
so that that's essentially a second layer of check so yes uh, we're i mean going on for a couple of years now and uh, in all probability uh, we will have an nrc by the end of this month but in the process a lot of people have been left out like from the data that i've been reading approximately 2 crore people who've submitted their documents are not a part of the final draft yet so yeah that's yeah, also i was saying that just like you mentioned there are people who've moved from other states to assam so mm. the nrc committee or the seva kendra they have to reach out to the different governments and the different state governments have to provide them with supporting documents or verify the documents that have been supported uh, that have been submitted so True. in this process what happens to the people who un- who do not end up or whose names do not end up on the list so i think uh, two parts to your question right yeah. uh, you for in fact three parts so you say a lot of people have been left out yeah yeah a lot of people have been left out because uh, first of all uh, uh, we only the first draft has been published so far uh, and so yes yeah, so a substantial substantial number of people have haven't featured on the first draft uh the second part is uh, you you asked about the people who uh, who have documents in other states right so mm-hmm. so yeah that's a problem that the you know in fact uh, scroll just had a story by one of my colleagues of the day on exactly precisely this today uh, i uh, i mean i urge uh, listeners to check that Uh, so basically yeah, the, 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 they're trying to get in touch and it's happening but you know how the indian bureaucracy works uh, so hopefully that will be uh, i think uh, queries of around 5.5 lakh uh, people have been sent to other states so, so that's still uh, in the process of being uh, you know verified um, i think as of now uh, the agency has received only 1.6 lakh documents mm-hmm. i mean for documents for the lot of documents still left mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and as of now so so basically also uh, in terms of numbers uh, just to be clear 3.29 people uh, have applied for the nrc and out of that uh, 1.9 uh, 3.29 crore people have applied uh, for the nrc and out of that 1.9 crore people have been verified so far in the first list correct so, so uh, my so third that's question that's, uh, oh, that's what uh, that's a lot of people still left right mm-hmm. uh, almost uh, to crore people but uh, so there are no numbers as of now there are no official numbers because mm-hmm. uh, because uh, i mean whatever numbers come out in the media is essentially you know speculation or unconfirmed sources uh, what happens to people who left for the nrc no one knows including the indian government Mm-hmm. uh because uh india does not have a repatriation treaty with bangladesh mm-hmm. in fact uh, uh this government which has been so muscular about uh, sending away illegal migrants to uh, you know to bangladesh uh has never talked about uh, a repatriation treaty vis-a-vis assam with bangladesh last time they met uh, on the sidelines of the convocation of the vishwavarti university they didn't even bring it up so i suppose it's incumbent on the government on the, on the government which won elections in the state by saying that they'll drive away illegal migrants to act uh, but then uh, it's it's clear to everyone uh, in the state that uh, nothing is going to come out of it and uh, it could be horrific people could uh, people who left out uh, i mean currently people who declared as foreigners live in detention camps which are essentially jails wow uh, so yes it's a bleak future ahead uh, no one knows uh, where this is headed so uh, i also wanted to ask you about the citizenship amendment bill right it closely overlaps with the nrc and uh, according to the hindu the uh, the 2006 citizenship amendment bill is a, is the government's way 
is the government's is the government actually trying to change the definition of illegal migrants through that bill is the first question and my second question is how will the bill affect the nrc list if it is enforced uh, right uh, first part again uh, yes uh, in a way it is uh, by saying that uh, non muslim migrants uh, from uh, four countries uh, you know when even if they come uh, you know whenever they come respective whenever they come and without any legal documents they they dissolved in the country as citizens or, or in fact they can apply for citizenship uh, not uh, absorb the citizenship directly uh, so yes in, in uh, so to speak uh, it, it, they are kind of you know uh, i mean changing who a foreigner is in india uh, i mean it's an intention to do to do that at least uh, and the second part of the question yes uh, if the if if the if the citizenship amendment bill is enforced is is passed uh, by the parliament then uh, the nrc process becomes largely redundant uh, because uh, you know uh, because all bengali hindus mm-hmm. you know who who come of 1971 and who will not find a place in the nrc according to the terms and conditions of the application process will be included as will be eligible to apply for citizenship mm-hmm. so what it does is it makes 6 years of a gigantic bureaucratic process that involved you know amount of money and manpower you know largely redundant but would it also not become sort of something against a tool of discrimination against muslims identified as of course it is of, of course of, of course i mean that 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 that, that the, the, the very the very uh, you know the very essence of the bill is you know that it is against muslims you know it categorically says uh, you know non muslims uh, i'm doesn't say non muslims but yeah except for muslim migrants uh, you know pretty much everyone's allowed in so it is uh, it's essentially uh, an anti muslim bill and uh, i mean i mean i don't think uh, there's much to be surprised about though coming from where it is okay uh Lastly I wanted your thoughts on the media's coverage of the NRC process as you mentioned that there are detention camps that have been set up and NRC related de- uh, suicides have been reported on but hasn't but has the media done justice to the coverage what do you think like it has been reported to a certain point but not the amount of coverage it should have received what are your thoughts and what do you think of the local media's coverage as well i i suppose the nrc hasn't covered the uh, i don't know i don't know about the quality of the coverage but in terms of uh, you know you know national uh, national in terms of national media you know covering the subject it has definitely been covered you know okay i mean uh, it has definitely been covered more than probably most other stuff that happens in the northeast except from the floods mm-hmm. uh, so it has definitely been covered but um, yes the quality of the coverage uh, could, could could call it to be suspected times because uh, i mean i i i hate saying this uh, and it's, it's a little bit for you know uh, i mean I mean, it's saying this over and over again is a little stupid, but uh, but this is an immensely complex, you know, subject. The 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 the, the issue of illegal migration in Assam. Mm-hmm. You know, it it, it it there's a there's a lot of history to it. You know, uh, you know, I mean, there, there there are multiple academic interpretations of what led to the Assam agitation, the cornerstone of the anti-foreigner movement in Assam. Right, 1979 to 85, there was a mass movement where everybody was in the streets, 
And when I say everybody, pretty much everybody was in the street. You know, the, the state had stopped functioning for a year. Schools, colleges had stopped functioning for a year. So, you know, uh, there, there were legitimate grievances, you know, and and, 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 the, and the grievance is multiple strands, right? It wasn't, you know, you know, you know a, a, a popular liberal discourse uh, you know, of the whole process is that it is, this is xenophobia. It is definitely xenophobic to, to a large extent. It is any, any sub-nationalism, any nationalism is at its heart, you know, xenophobic, you know, to a certain extent. But, but there was also an element of a class struggle, you know, in the Assam agitation, you know, and, uh, you know, like an entire bunch of people, and I mean, and the whole state, you know, coming out in the streets protesting and something couldn't just be xenophobia. It was also deep-rooted resentment against the Indian state. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, and the Congress, perhaps. You know, so so yeah, it, it, it's complex and it's very difficult for 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 reporters. You know, and I understand this. You know, when I, uh, as a reporter, to come to Assam, spend the two weeks, and write a story that because there are so many stories, right? You know, everybody has a story. You know, there so, are so many contours to, you know, to the story. The stories. So so yeah, I mean, I suppose uh, the coverage could have been better, but like that's I suppose anything else. <laughs> in our country, you know, okay. I mean, obviously better for pretty much everything else. Um, Amit, you want to comment on yeah. this? Hey, hi, Arunab. Uh, Amit, hi, this okay. side. Uh, I remember you wrote a story on Tripura elections, and uh, I mean, this has nothing to do with the Assam and NRC, but it has, I mean, ah. this question is precisely on Tripura. So you did a ah. story on Tripura, and you had clearly said that the young generation wants the BJP because it's aspirational. It wants job, and it wants Tripura to develop as any other state in the country. Sure. And sure. now we have seen the Chief Minister Biplab Dev. He has been making bizarre comments. And uh, I read one story in Indian Express uh, where there was this very controversial issue: a letter being issued by the governor to appoint a uh, individual who was a bjp worker and uh, huh. he, he was also a ca so do you huh. think that you know uh, issues like this uh, more important issues where appointments are being made or there are uh, issues of governance you know and this could be also considered as a uh, you know a, a matter of corruption at least moral corruption that you are appointing someone from the party, uh, the governor is recommending someone from BJP to be appointed in the government. So uh, issues like this are not covered and we often tend to cover what uh, bizarre comments are being made by the chief minister instead of focusing on these larger issues. Of course, I mean, uh, that, that goes without saying, you know, to, to, to get like a soundbite of Biplav uh, Dave and to blow it up is the easiest thing to do, particularly for TV. You know, because uh, because covering corruption requires uh, actual journalism. You know, I mean, it requires the reporter to be on the ground. Uh, you know, you know, go through paperwork and you know, actually work hard. That I mean, that goes. I mean, that that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, I think. Uh, I mean, in fact, I have you know very uh, consciously tried to steer away from you know. I mean, you know, reading too much into Biplav's uh, statements. You know. And because uh, these are, this is the easier, easier thing to do, right? So yeah, and uh, you know, I suppose uh, everyone does it because it gets you the eyeballs, gets you the numbers, gets you the hits. So yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, you're right that you know, there's much more to cover, uh, you know, in Tripura uh, other than uh, you know, Biplav's, uh, you know, bloopers. Right, and it's also difficult to find out those irregularities within the government, right? <laughs> so you go absolutely, yeah. Okay, uh, I don't know. I said it requires real digging, and you know, I mean, actually, what journalism is supposed to be, which you know, a lot of us you know, find hard to do increasingly. 
uh anuna well we'll come back to you but now i want sure. to go to vishaka vishaka what do you think was underreported over the last week or uh, what was overplayed by the media something that you thought shouldn't have made news um so i think that the thomson reuters report mm-hmm. uh that found that india was one of the most was the most dangerous country for women was quite underreported and um the reaction to it was also quite conflicting mm-hmm. um i remember seeing a tweet where there was the denial on the report followed by two reports of rape and uh, molestation and harassment so it, it just for me i think this issue has been underreported and also not talked enough okay. uh, So just to give some context uh, Thomson Reuters Foundation a philanthropic arm of Reuters on June 26th released a report where uh, India was ranked as the top in the world's most dangerous uh, countries for women but uh, I slightly disagree with you about the quantity of coverage I didn't think it was underreported I thought uh, because I saw Uh, the debate on newsx and ndtv and cnn news 18 also held primetime debates but the problem that i thought with the coverage was uh, particularly newsx this was uh, something pointed out by one of our team members and newsx when i saw the debate i realized newsx is basically using the thomson reuters report and the un report released earlier stating that uh, it's basically a foreign ploy to defame india I was like this is this could be a trigger point for better debates for debates to actually think about is India actually there for example and what do you think of the comparison that is there with the African countries to India uh, a lot a larger rhetoric has been like how can India be placed above countries like Somalia how can it be placed above Africa how can it be placed above Saudi Arabia do you think there's some merit to that rhetoric no i do not i think that india's rising hostility or hostile environment for women is a result of its patriarchal and misogynistic society or cultural values traditions however you want to look at it and this comparison that we make i mean how can be worse than them is i think also a part of our racism where we think okay somebody from africa or from uh, from with a darker skin can't be better than us which is and also if you think like if you look at the pattern that we have been following as a country when it comes to women um liberation i wouldn't even call it empowerment it has been that we talk about it on a superficial level Mm-hmm. on a we s- we make noise about reservation or about equality or uh, reservation in parliament rather and equality in workspaces or setting up the vishaka guidelines mm-hmm. but we actually don't follow through in implementation the people who are supposed to follow through or are supposed to implement the follow through are lawmakers who go around giving uh, comments like essentially saying that what i wear and what i eat Well, I agree to most of it. Don't you think implementation is a problem with a lot of laws, not just of where course, it concerns absolutely. women? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Um, Amit, Arunab, do you want to add to that? Do you want to weigh in on the topic? I mean, what do you think? Do you think India could be one of the most dangerous countries, not as a report, but the experience for women? I, I definitely think it is quite dangerous. You know, and for women, you know, I mean, I, 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 I don't think uh, anybody. Uh, you know, 
anybody with also trying to you know contest that um but i apparently the 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 the, the methodology of uh, you know the, the whole survey was flawed mm-hmm. but i think it doesn't take a survey to tell you that uh, india is uh, spectacularly unsafe for women mm-hmm. and particularly if you live in delhi and uh, you know i mean i i suppose the the, the right wing you know denial is just you know just them you know everything worried everything the western conspiracy you mm-hmm. know uh, so uh, i think i, I mean i think like a lot of other things that will do you know will do so well for the government to actually treat it as a problem you know and not uh, wish it away because it's done by a foreign agency just to add to what you were saying so the findings are based on the perceptions of 550 experts on women issues so a lot of what has been talked about in terms of the limitations of the project has been the sample size and also the contention is that there were just 43 participants in the project from india out of the 550 experts so i agree like while there can be contention about the methodology but that could have been used as a trigger for a larger debate amit do you want to come in on that yes uh, number one i mean indian shouldn't be concerned with whether it's on the top or at the bottom the very fact that women are unsafe here is the biggest issue and we should be concerned by that fact only we don't need any thompson writers or any un report to realize what's happening in our country i mean uh, you see what happens in national capital delhi where you have the biggest amount of force uh, in in a geographical area and it comes directly under the union home ministry and despite that crime against women happen very often and there's no check uh, so much so that uh, the body women's body in delhi uh, the uh, people there the uh, including the uh, dcw chief needs to sit on a dharna outside rajnath singh's house to ensure there's a s- swift and smooth police action against a uh, uh, rape accused so that happens number 1 number 2 uh, uh, i'm just trying to counter the arguments that you gave uh, on the part of patriarchy like there's a country called saudi arabia which just lift uh, lifted the ban uh, on women driving so a deep in- entrenchment of patriarchy is there in these countries as well and then uh the people who are questioning we we should not ridicule them by you know using uh these arguments because uh, the list also includes countries uh, like syria which is a crisis zone right now and it has crisis at different levels so there's uh, the war going on you have uh, different uh, rebel groups fighting with each other then you have uh, i mean it's the entire area geographical area is under several layers of crisis and for a matter of fact we know that there have been multiple reports the ground reports which have come out that uh, women are being subjected to sexual and uh, all sorts of violence so there'll be questions like if syria is on the list how can india be on the top so that question will be there then people will end up asking that their countries like saudi arabia i think india could come on the top list it's also the aftermath of 2012 nirbhaya rape that we have seen that uh, registration of cases in this country has increased and it should be appreciated not the fact that crime is happening but we as a society have at least opened up to the fact that you know people are coming to the police stations and they are reporting it now it becomes the responsibility of the system to respond to these uh, complaints to act on these complaints swiftly and smoothly and ensure that the legal process is also followed up 
properly in the court, which is uh, the biggest problem right now that uh, such cases uh, face, that in the courts, even in Nirbhaya's uh, uh, gang rape case, what happened, it took so many years in the court for the decision to come out. And uh, we often hear of different rape cases which are pending in the court. So we need swift trial and uh, immediate, not, I won't say immediate action, but it should be time-bound, uh, you know, legal process. No, yeah. adding to what you were saying, Amit, like, I'm, I'm sure the there could be i'm not saying that there's no merit to the rhetoric that there is a problem with the methodology but what i'm also saying that for example there's female genital, uh, genital mutilation india doesn't have laws against it but other countries that we are saying that we cannot be Pakistan above we has can- a law against fgm no for you know and it has it has, it has a law for quite some time now you know so also i don't quite agree uh, sorry i don't quite agree with the whole thing about you know a, a war zone being more, un- more unsafe for women you know i, I mean I, I think i think a kashmir and northeast are much safer for women than you know many places in 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 mainland in, in india you know you know, um, uh, you know. So, I mean, I, 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 Saudi Arabia. It could be uncomfortable for a woman. It may not be great to be a woman in Saudi Arabia, but it may not be unsafe. I think there's a difference there. Yeah, but then you also have reports. You know, you also have reports. Uh, these are very f- limited reports on IS, like how Islamic State is uh, sexually abusing and using women as slaves. So these are all. Uh, these reports are also there, but you don't have any data to back such uh, reports because you can't go on the ground to do a survey so that question will, will always remain there yeah Vishaka do you want to come in so, on that um, I, I absolutely uh, get what what you're saying when you say that uh, we have been we know about what ISIS is doing to women but let's also consider this is a terrorist organization and terror uh, and efforts are on to uh, sort of combat it and uh, let's say deal with it uh, but when it comes to and also uh, one more thing that you said about saudi arabia for example um i just i know a couple of men from saudi arabia and i do get what you're talking about patriarchy but at the same time if a man in saudi arabia were to look at a woman uh, were to make a woman uncomfortable or were to rape a woman there are harsh punishments for it. i'm not supporting the punishments or a public lynching or but i'm saying that there is a strong sentiment against a crime Against, against crimes being committed against women, mm-hmm. which is not something that is existent, which I, I mean, which I don't see very prevalent being in India. Strongly enforced yeah, in India. Yeah, because you know, in India, it's automatically replaced with victim shaming, where it is. So we're not even considering the fact that this shouldn't be done. We're just like, this. A, it's a, it's a woman's responsibility. I think there's a lot more to this debate than what the podcast allows mm. right now. Time yes, for, yes, yes. but moving on to that, Amit, uh, what do you think was underreported by the media? I think uh, I have less to talk about what was underreported. One instance that I'll talk about is uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi was in uh, uh, Maghar and uh, the speech was almost live on television screens and. Uh, he spoke about Goraknath, he spoke about Kabir, he spoke ab- about Guru Nanak. And mm-hmm. he said that all three of them had sat together here to discuss spiritual issues. Aisa kehte hai ki yehi par Sant Kabir, Guru Nanak Dev, aur Baba Goranath ji ne 
एक साथ बैठ करके आध्यात्मिक चर्चा की थी नाउ फॉर अ प्राइम मिनिस्टर हु हैज बीन डूइंग गुफॉप्स एवरी एवरी नाउ एंड देन ही हैज मेड क्लेम सिमिलर सिमिलर गुफॉप्स इन दार्लियामेंट ही हैज मेड आई डोंट नो वेदर इट्स डेलिबरेट और इट्स जस्ट अ मिस्टेक बाई द फैक्ट चेकिंग टीम और द पीपल हु राइट हिज स्पीचेज दिस हैज बिन हैपनिंग इन दिलेक्शन रैलीज ऑल अक्रॉस फ्रॉम बिहार टू कर्नाटक एंड देन ही ऑल्सो वेंट ऑन इंटरनेशनल फोरम टू से probably it was slip of tongue where he said uh, 500 crore ya 600 uh, crore logon ne chunke sarkar ko bheja hai number 1 what's india's uh, voter count number 2 what was the vote percentage of bjp and then the uh, the population that he referred i believe it would be i think it's more than the world population itself uh, i'll have to check that uh so this uh, why i am saying that when uh, the team the fact checking team of prime minister uh, is not doing a great job we as media organizations should give it more coverage that these are the goof ups so that this team at least starts working right so what happens is there's a easier way to do it and which the news organizations are following up right now is they start writing pieces on their website now in if india today can write a piece or if uh, xyz channel can write a piece on it why not run a package on the tv itself every day he makes mistake so that uh, the team realizes that okay this is not working out because uh, the leader of the opposition or uh, the leader of the opposition party principal opposition party has been uh, dubbed as pappu in a, in the entire country so our prime minister is making similar mistakes and we go on to preach oh what a master stroke oh what a speech so we need to uh, you know point this out on the television television screens as well this there are quite a few things that journalism in india or media in india needs to do but i think this is way too much of expectations from them because if they are not going to even if they are going to pull down reports that have already been published based on rti replies then asking them to fact check modi's speech it's not even fact check dude you are running this speech live and that won't even get them trps more biplab dev no, i'm sure i'm sure running a goof up package of prime minister narendra modi is definitely going to get them trp a from the people who love modi they'll hate the channels b from the people who hate modi they'll love the channels okay i hope everybody is listening for amit's expert advice uh but amit you also wanted to speak about delhi statehood yeah so on sunday uh, so one very tragic and horrifying incident happened on sunday morning that uh, 11 members of the same family were found hanging from the ceiling uh that happened on the same day uh, uh, in indira gandhi indoor stadium uh, aam aadmi party had called its uh, pradesh mahasammelan where for the first time we did a story a week back on what is the strategy of aam aadmi party for the elections to, in 2019 and how it is going to use the statehood plank as uh, statehood issue as the main plank for the polls and they also the strategy is also based on the fact that no party is going to get majority in 2019 and hence every seat will matter so uh, it was the official announcement uh, of that particular strategy where uh, arvind kejriwal said that uh, don't you want 85% reservation for delhi walas in the government jobs provided by delhi government don't you want reservation for delhi walas uh, in the universities and uh, 
हर झुग्गी के जगह मकान हर आदमी को सस्ता मकान सो दीज आर द्री प्लैंक्स एंड ही इज नाउ हाउ ही क्लब्ड इट टूगेदर्स वॉज ही सेट दैट ऑल दीज थिंग्स विल बी पॉसिबल इफ डेली गेट्स फुल स्टेटहुड एंड द काइंड ऑफ रेस्पॉन्स दैट ही वॉज गेटिंग फ्रॉम द पीपल प्रेजेंट देयर इट वॉज अमेजिंग अमित सॉरी टू बटन बट आई डोंट वॉन्ट टू आस्क लाइक अ लॉट ऑफ टाइम लीडर्स मेक promises that we know they might not be able to fulfill or eventually they end up not fulfilling them do you think arvind kejriwal is using the media to do the same see here the strategy is little different arvind kejriwal's government has been a, in a constant tussle with the central government and even if uh, party in power at the center changes situation for this government is not going to change it might get little comfortable but it won't be a cake walk for them right so number one so the easiest way to do it is if there's a fractured mandate in 2019 and if they are able to win at least five or six seats from delhi they will be key factor uh, in uh, whatever government is formed so mm-hmm. in that government form- formation they can barter two things first they'll demand for statehood if not they'll at least say dude इस गवर्नमेंट को परेशान मत करो हमको अपना काम करने दो सो दैट वे इट्स कन्वीनियंट फॉर केजरीवाल एंड वोटर्स हु हैव इलेक्टेड दिस गवर्नमेंट सो आई थिंक दैट्स द स्ट्रैटेजी एंड नो गवर्नमेंट इज आई डोंट थिंक द वोटर्स आर एक्चुअली बिलीविंग इन केजरीवाल रेटोरिक दैट दिल बी रिजर्वेशन इन एम्प्लॉयमेंट और कॉलेजेस यू नो बिकॉज वट आई पॉइंट आउट इज इट्स अ डबल एज सोड if even if uh, if i want i can become a delhi voter today because uh, there's a process i'll follow i'll become a delhi voter so if i go on to vote on that promise that there'll be reservation in delhi university or uh, colleges in delhi for delhi walas hmm. my brothers sisters or my family members living in jharkhand they won't be able to get a seat in <laughs> delhi university which is already very difficult so i might not vote for kejriwal because of this reason So yeah that's the double that's domicile, so yeah domicile right that works that works according to domicile yeah but that's the, hmm hmm there's a I, process to it no? I mean, who is considered uh, just because you vote in delhi you're not a delhi you're not a citizen of delhi yeah so, domicile when it comes to education isn't it right but what will happen in electoral terms is i won't like to vote for a party which is uh, trying to bring 85% reservation this backfired for vijay goyal in past Okay so moving on Amit do you also want to speak about uh, the reportage media's narrative about the Pathalgari movement a uh, media's narrative very quickly i'll just uh, sum up uh, because i was able to uh, also mean, could I, you first give us a little context about the movement itself i think we spoke about this last week as well uh, uh, pathalgadi is a tribal tradition where uh, people demarcate land uh, where they live and the correct yeah and uh, uh, the area where their uh, ancestors uh, memorials are kept or they are buried so this entire area is demarcated uh, demarcated by the people uh, uh, tribals and uh, this is called pathalgadi and it is under the pesa act of uh, government of india and was also identified is has been also identified under the fifth schedule of the constitution now in jharkhand suddenly the raghubar das government uh, the bharatiya janata party government said that this is international activity and people who sh- who are carrying out pathalgadi movement should stop it right away 
इट वॉज ऑल्सो बिकॉज दैट दी ग्राम सभाज इन दीज ट्राइबल विलेजेस वे पतलगढ़ी वर्क कैरीड व बींग कैरीड आउट दिस सेट दैट द फंड्स अंडर द ट्राइबल एक्शन एक्शन प्लान शुड बी डायरेक्टली गिवन टू द ग्राम सभाज सो दैट दे कैन कैरी आउट द डेवलपमेंट प्रोजेक्ट्स सो Coming so, to uh, so what happened was there were uh, there have been multiple clashes between the police and the uh, supporters of the Patalgadi movement, and one happened on 24th June, where uh, they were trying to carry out the Patalgadi mo- uh, practice, and then the police objected, and the clashes happened. The angry mob on the way back uh, surrounded the lo- local MP Kadia Munda's house and house, and they abducted the three. guards there now uh, the police action started to get these people you know uh, uh, to rescue these three uh, guards uh, the police personnel who were abducted by the patalgadi supporters and before this a week back uh, uh, before this incident uh, five women were gang raped uh, they were abducted and gang gang raped in khunti itself so the problem with the media narrative and to be precise with this very liberal and very uh, i mean yes lot of pe- majority of uh, people who identify themselves as liberal or who identifies themselves as one not supporting the bjp was this channel mm-hmm. and uh, this happened on 3 days i was amazed i mean goof up can happen on one day it happened on 3 days which the is the anchor, channel you're talking about people can read it on news laundry website as well uh, the anchor went on to s- repeat the same mistake on 3 days and how is that possible this anchor is saying that you know this uh, the five women were raped and the police uh, went to arrest the accused the pathalgadi supporters uh, clashed with the police so you're saying there were these are two different incidents and what the channel particular channel is done has mixed the two yes and i'm re- really enraged because i belong from the state and uh, this puts these people in uh, i mean at under utter risk because the, it was also running uh, slugs or the whatever you call it supers. that police supers that police versus uh, rebels these are not rebel groups you have to understand what's happening on the ground before putting such supers or slugs on the channel on the channel why do you say they are not rebel groups just to explain it to our readers see uh, that area jharkhand uh, itself it's it's red corridor number 1 number 2 khunti uh, is uh, essentially a place where uh, uh, these uh, maoist organizations and other naxal organizations are very active i won't say naxal but plfi is one group which is very active and uh, so much so that there is wo- a war like situation between these two groups itself so, and patalgadi movement it's not a rebel group it's a democratic right of the people and people are practicing it and they are there are misunderstanding between the government and the people so you can't call it rebel group would you call the protesters in bhatta parsol who were shot dead and who had uh, a sort of uh, uh, blocked the entire area uh, you know uh, protesting against the land acquisition were the rebel group if you are ready to call them rebel group then i'm i have no problems if you call patalgadi movement supporters rebel group okay Uh, Aruna Vishaka, do you want to come in on any of that? No, I I would rather. This is not something that I I just follow and okay. keep a track of. Aruna, do you want to comment on that? You know, I'm trying. I, okay. I haven't uh, read read up much on it. So, uh, coming back to Vishaka before closing the podcast, Vishaka, we were talking about the Thomson Reuters report, but. Uh, I also want to ask you since you've worked in multiple newsrooms what has your experience been in these newsrooms 
as a reporter, as a journalist, and also as a woman in the newsrooms? Oh, that's such a tough question. Um, in most online newsrooms, in current mainstream media organizations, online journalism means sitting, copy pasting, curating, and maybe doing social media, right? Based stories. Or just being a social media manager or... Uh, but there's absolutely no uh, attention given to reportage or to working on a journalist's individual <coughs> reporting skills. So what that does is I, there's a vacuum and there's also sort of, there are ambitious young journalists who are dying to report or dying to build contacts and sources. To fill this vacuum, some of us start pitching stories and giving ideas or, try, you know, suggest can we follow, can we, if not, just shadow uh, good reporters or reporters near us in our own time. And you get permission to do none of that because you, all your time you have to sit and produce and publish as many pieces as possible, quantities. And this goes beyond the gender. It is applicable to everyone yeah, who's yeah, in the newsroom. This part, for sure. This is across the board, um, men, women alike. Um, uh, Arunab, you've also worked in multiple newsrooms. Do you agree with what Vishaka is saying? Well, so I've been lucky that way. I mean, uh, I've always been a reporter. Uh, and uh, and the first job I was uh, I, I was was on the desk. Uh, uh, I, mean, I was I was essentially subbing copies then for uh, another sports website back in Bangalore. But after that, I've essentially been uh, a reporter always. And, you know, this law what I do now is uh, based on, you know, sitting on the desk. Okay. I guess what I also was trying to say was... Uh um, you know what he said about being a reporter? I mean, all the reporting that you can do is on your own time and you have to have the the will to push your story through. Like, I've done that. I've done a story and then I've told my editor, you can use it if you'd like to. So, yeah, you have to have that kind of drive, but also it's very... Uh, the whole environment and the pressure of it is quite draining when you go back home mm-hmm. you've literally spent nine to ten hours in front of a screen maybe at a 15 or a 20 minute break and uh, talking about the gender equality bit so in one of my newsrooms i was actually i, I have written about this i was uh, uh, harassed by one of my one of a head of a department at a at an office party while he was really, really drunk. And I ended up quitting a month or a month and a half after. And I still haven't been able to talk to anybody. Like, I can't, I can't talk to my industry peers. It just just fills me with fear and dread in general. And then there was another newsroom where I would pitch stories, but I would find that most of the stories were being done by my male colleagues in the newsroom. And to the point that I even pitched a story, which was shut down at the time, but was published in the paper with the byline of another of one of my male colleagues from the newsroom. So that is the kind of... And I feel like the environment that it creates, it kind of kills your drive to push stories or to do something beyond what your KRE and your the numbers you're supposed to get. Okay. Uh, Amit, do you want to comment on that? I have just one question. I've been always always curious. Like, if you go through the uh, 
the digital versions of the MSMs. So what you also find is bizarre success stories, you know, commodifying women, and it's always it's soft porn that are that is being sold. So and I assume there are enough women in the newsroom. So how these story ideas are pitched, and how you know whether there's some uh, there's there's some objection by uh, women employees in the newsroom which is raised or. Uh, people in the newsroom find it absolutely fine because it gets you numbers it's both the things uh, the men hear me when i say men are supposed to get the men who are supposed to get the numbers don't care for them the more out there that photograph or a piece of information is the better i know one newsroom would actually track at what time from which region they would suddenly get uh, traffic around 1 or 2 a.m. on a slightly like on a story around sex sexuality or even uh, you know a scandal you know how we call these things so like oh the traffic is coming from Pune at 1 a.m. this is where all the bachelors are it's actually a very it's, they take it very in a very relaxed and a very chilled out manner in uh, HT I know of women who HT is by far like where I saw I didn't see too much of uh, of what you were talking about but that was just limited to my desk there was also a lifestyle section there are also sections that are uh, and this is not HT this is several newsrooms that are not manned by say somebody like you or me who's like interested in news and really wants to get into it you got people who are just being paid to upload photographs and create photo galleries which are then going to get numbers and there's SEO demands like these are online uh, newsrooms you got SEO experts and um, and they're telling you okay you've got to use certain keywords in certain stories to get so it's a vicious circle of what the demand is and what is being supplied and what you're talking about is editorial oversight which no, I was also just asking have you ever experienced or been witness to a situation where women employees have actually red flagged that how are you doing this story I mean this can't go on the website has been there a situation like this I have known of women doing it personally in a in a very unofficial capacity maybe speaking to their editors on a personal level but when it comes down to like I mean the same women who would object to it say on a break or personally would then go and publish more such stories because they also have to get the credit for getting a certain amount of traffic to the website also like I don't think it's in within the roles and responsibilities and actually the higher editorial would listen to women mm-hmm. objecting to stories that are getting them traffic like this uh, I was at a press conference where numbers about um, viewership spikes were being shared and I was shocked to know that there was an 87% spike when Sri Devi's Moth Ka Bata was uh, being played on media. So if that is the kind of numbers that sort of reportage is getting. So I, de- I don't see the reason for repo- uh, editors to put their feet down to certain reportage. But we are running out of time. So I would just ask the uh, first, Arunab, do you want to come in on any of that? No, I mean, I, I suppose, I mean, I agree with what most 
what you said. I mean, it obviously happens, you know, because I mean, news is essentially run as a business. So I don't know if it's right or wrong, but uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it happens all the time. Uh, uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, you're right that you know, uh, I mean, the sex is content. Uh, is peddled and you know i mean often done with uh, you know i mean the women are also often part of that you know decision making process for whatever reasons you know uh, so yeah i mean um, but, yeah um, i personally have uh, you know had i've had a good fortune of working in newsrooms in fairly ethical bouts and stuff okay so yeah i suppose such newsrooms also do exist you know uh, do not you know do a certain i would not go beyond a certain line So yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to go to the panel to ask the panel to share their recommendations. So Aruna, what do you want to recommend? Ah, uh, since it's football season, uh, so this is article uh, in this really lovely publication. Uh, I've started uh, in like over the last uh, you know couple of months, Roads and Kingdoms. Uh, it's called uh, Afro Europe in the World Cup. So basically, you know, African players, uh, players of African origin playing for European countries. You know, the politics of it. This comes after, I suppose, uh, a piece had gone viral a couple of weeks ago by this Belgian striker Romelu Lukaku, right? Uh, so the politics of playing for a European country as 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 a black uh, footballer, you know, it tells you a lot about football, the sport, you know, the politics of migration, you know. And what's running, the name you know, of the publication? That would be great. Piece. It's called Afro Europe in the World Cup. Uh, it's on Roads and Kingdoms. Okay. Um, Vishaka, do you want to share your recommendation? Ah, uh, well, I would. I would like to recommend uh, the Water series that Asia Times is running at the moment. Uh, we know that uh, most of Indian uh, metro cities would be out of water by 2020, 2020. Um, and so we've got Himanshu Thakkar, who is um, get this right, coordinator of the South Asian network of dams, rivers, and people, and he's written three. Uh, very very in depth pieces so far for asia times where one he looks at the shimla water crisis uh, the how these smart cities that we're building actually have no water policy to the point that we i mean not a single city is capable of treating their sewage hmm. uh, the sewage that they create not even like 10% of that sewage is being treated and of course uh, how india's response to this crisis has been really dense in terms of the reports that it's been working on um, and general inquiries it's been setting up uh, amit i'm just report uh, repeating the recommendation i mean not which i recommended in last week's report as that podcast but in the uh, charcha uh, so this is uh, the ground report on patalgadi movement from jharkhand and it's in english so you can read it and for the hindi hindi readers uh, you can go to the original story uh, which was written by neeraj sinha uh, in hindi yeah uh, since we were talking about uh, fgm i want to recommend a documentary made by priya goswami in 2012 it's called a pinch of skin i was watching it last night and i was I was I was looking at the data for um, FGM in India and I realized that there is no data and uh, Menka Gandhi's um, rejection that or rather denial that there is um, no female genital mutilation in India I was shocked at uh, to see that in the documentary people have come forward and people are talking about it as part of the culture and i personally know a friend who's gone through it so that documentary definitely a 
must watch and on that note we close today's podcast but uh, before we go i'd like to remind our listeners that for a healthier media and better reportage they need to step in you need to support media organizations because when the public pays the public is served and when corporations and advertisers pay they are served so pay to keep news free subscribe to news laundry or any other independent news organization of your choice happy subscribing thank you panel thank you all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent Catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs, and sport. Visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.